0: Hello, I am Tracy Otsuka, and I wanted to welcome you to episode 99 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I know that our podcast is for ADHD women, but a huge percentage of our women have kids. Also with ADHD, go figure, since it's about as heritable as height, right? So I've always felt personally that my teenage son with ADHD, he's now 18, has been my greatest teacher. So even if you don't have kids, I know you will get something out of this episode. So I'd like to introduce you to Julia Clements. For the past 23 years, Julia has been an executive function coach for teens. She's also a math tutor with a strong affinity for teens with ADHD. She attended the Johnson Center for Integrative Studies at the University of Redlands and believes that this is where she developed her love of the individualized and creative learning process. Welcome, Julia. Hello, hello. I'm happy to be here. So happy to have you here. So did I get all of
1: that right? That is correct. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. But we also miss that I too have ADHD.
0: Oh, I know that. We're going to talk all <laughs> yeah, about okay. that. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you know our rules, but our rules yes. are women, unless it's a really special guy like I did have my son on, and they have to have ADHD.
1: Well, and even, I'm in the right place. <laughs> yeah. So
0: I just really believe if you're going to talk to an expert in anything, they need to actually have real lived experience in whatever they're an expert in. So excellent. <laughs> so I honestly couldn't tell you how we met or how we ended up right here today. I was just so your Facebook at, page was it? Okay. Yes. I just know that once we started talking, I was attracted to how you do what you do. And I remember thinking that I wish you were around when I was looking for an executive function coach for my son. I get the sense that figuring out teens' learning codes, that that's really a challenge for you. I know, it's my love. Yeah, and I just, I love, like, when you speak, like, I sound like a valley girl. Um, when you speak, it's so apparent How much you love teenagers.
1: They are my people. (laughs) I prefer teens over adults. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I, I can completely relate to that.
0: And you know what's so interesting is when I was pregnant with my daughter, I probably have told this story before, but whatever. When I was pregnant with my daughter, I remember everybody. Saying, oh, congratulations. And then there was that eye, you know, that side eye roll that, oh my God, it's a girl, and just wait until she's a teenager and all of that crap. And I remember thinking, I don't think it has to be that way, you know? Not at all. I ended up finding this book called Reviving Ophelia. And this was in the fabulous book. 98. Yeah. Fabulous and book. What it talked about was how cultural this separation is in terms of, you know, that teenagers have to turn into brats, especially girls. And that that doesn't happen in many parts of the world. It's a, you know, it's kind of unique to the United States. So I just made the concerted decision that I was not going to have that with my teenage daughter. And I am telling you, she has been a joy. She's now 20. How old is she? 22. And she has been a joy from the very beginning. And I feel like it gets better and better. And I have
1: never had those problems with her. But I think so much of it is communication too. Absolutely. Absolutely. My daughter is 17 and we get along fabulously.
0: Yeah. And you said something to me. You said that you don't use shame at all, not with your students and not with your own child.
1: No, that was, uh, my husband and I both had rather rough childhoods and that was our agreement from the get go. I think the beginning of our relationship was that we would not raise our children with shame and that kind of started both of us on journeys that changed our marriage dramatically um to do a lot of internal work and then also I have been in therapy most of my daughter's childhood doing internal work to be a better parent and not you, Shane, learn better methods of parenting. And at one point I graduated therapy. I've since have gone back and my therapist sent me a note telling me that counseling me has been a great honor and that she has learned from me how to be a better parent. And it was just such an honor to get that note. I just, because i I've just created so many creative ways of handling situations to not have shame and to be creative and productive in outcomes and ways of handling situations. And I think that's just because I've been working with my students for so long, longer than I've been a parent. And I think I've learned so much from the families that I've worked with and tutoring because I see so many different parenting styles and so many different personalities in my students that I've learned that it's not one method fits all. It's not, there's not one parenting style. There's not one child style. It takes creativity and there's really endless opportunities to figure things out.
0: That's exactly how I feel about the ADHD brain. You know, they want to put us in this box, but the problem is that all of our interests are different. So how we handle what it is that we need to handle is usually different and what works for you may not work for me. So it makes so much sense. And the other word that I heard you use a lot was you use the word fun. And I personally know how important positive emotion is. And so there was just something that connected me to you immediately and got me thinking, gosh, I wish she had been around when my son was 12.
1: (laughs) I wish I had been there too. I know. (laughs) I would have loved to have worked with your family. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I also know that you're a huge proponent of Sarah Ward's executive function programs, which I also remember looking into for my son. And I still don't quite understand, like, how are they different? What is it that she does? So I want to talk about that, too. But before we go there, can we just talk about your ADHD first? Okay. Uh,
1: (laughs) So can you tell me, Julia, when were you diagnosed? I was diagnosed in my 40s, not very long ago, actually. I kind of backed into an ADHD diagnosis. I had already been medicated. What does that mean? <laughs> so um, I have bad depression from my as a residual from my childhood. and fatigue is a big part of that. And so my doctor has had me on two stimulants, concerta and on new vigil. So with those, we've my doctor and I have had a number of conversations, and this is my neurologist psychiatrist. He and I have had a number of conversations about not only how it's affected my fatigue, but how it's affected my executive function. And I keep discussing my ADHD since I'm so well versed in this. So I've been convincing him over the years that it's These are diagnoses that I have. And I finally brought in a questionnaire, an ADHD questionnaire, and gave it to him. (laughs) And he's like, okay, fine, you have ADHD. (laughs) He like put it in my chart. (laughs) So you have all
0: along known you've had ADHD, like for how long?
1: I think I suspected it as a child got confirmed while I was tutoring students who were diagnosed with ADHD because I had so many parallels with my students. And reflecting back to my childhood experience in school and reading about ADHD for my students so that I knew what I was dealing with and how to support them and and give them supports and coping skills... I started realizing that even as early as preschool on the playground, I I would get shamed for having boy energy. Oh, geez. And in elementary school that I would have certain disruptive behaviors that I I had somatic behaviors. And I would always get shamed for wanting to go to the nurse's office because I wasn't feeling well when I was acting out things that were happening at home. So explain some somatic behaviors. So somatic behaviors are that I was feeling ill, illness in my body mm. that was really psychological. Mm-hmm. And I was acting that out. And then there was one time when I was really feeling ill, ill. I always had, an, I remember second grade, I always had an upset stomach and I needed to go to the nurse's office and my teacher was like, you always say you have to go to the nurse's office. You're not going to go. And then I threw up all over my spelling book. Good for you. Right. And then (laughs) she made me use that spelling book for the rest of the school year. Oh, It was just horrible. People should not be teachers. No. And it was horrible because I actually really liked her as a teacher. But I mean, that was so punitive. It was just awful. So what other symptoms
0: did you have in childhood? You had boy energy, meaning you were hyperactive, right? I was
1: hyperactive. So then at one point in middle school, when we moved back to California, so I was always very, very bright. So one quarter I had straight A's on my report card and then straight U's unsatisfactory for my citizenship. (laughs) Okay. And I was called into the vice principal's office and the counselor's office, as I was informed that I would not be allowed to get straight A's for the semester if I had straight U's for my citizenship. And
0: citizenship would, was behavior, based. Behavior, yeah. <laughs> that they would and, not
1: allow that.
0: You know, I'm, I've am i got, like, going through this loop in my brain right now, this, this whole idea of boy energy. I mean, what the hell is that, right? No wonder... Girls struggle so much to get diagnosed. (laughs)
1: Right. Right. And so, and I have this daughter who also had tons of physical energy and I worked so hard to give her positive outlets for that energy. I mean, she was very physically adept early. She walked at 10 months and then we moved when she was 13 months. And the first night that we were alone in our house, we were eating pizza in front of the TV and all of a sudden we noticed that she was gone and we heard a noise in the kitchen. We go in the kitchen and she's climbed on top of the kitchen table and she's eating pizza. <laughs> and 2 weeks later she climbed on top of the kitchen counters and on top of the refrigerator. Oh jeez. She's 13 and a half months old. Oh my
0: gosh. Wait, wait, yeah. wait. She was 13 and a half months old and she was on top of the refrigerator?
1: Yes. <laughs> And I had promised myself I was not going to say no as a parent, Mm. that I was going to just redirect her. And that's tough when you're dealing with safe boundaries. And so I started calling outlets and coffee cups and things hot. Mm. And so she eventually would point to hot things and say hot and shake her head. And then I would have a little song for things this I did say no in the song and say not for the babies not for the babies not for the babies no and do a little dance as a distraction <laughs> to get her away so we didn't have a dining room table for this house yet the climbing was not gonna end right she's a climber so, so I can got a climbing
0: I ask you, Julia were you just like her were you literally climbing yes. refrigerators
1: and you were yes. just like her? I was just like her so I got a climbing structure and put it in the dining room. And we lived with a climbing structure in the dining room for 18 months. That is unbelievable. It worked worked great. And so I just redirected her to the climbing structure. And people thought we were nuts. But it worked.
0: So in your family, when you were growing up and you were climbing all over the place, what happened?
1: I was shamed.
0: Okay. So from the time you were literally a baby. Yeah. Did you have other siblings?
1: I had a younger sister who was... Perfect, and still Uh, is just perfect. Okay. Yeah. So you were
0: the bad one, and she was the angel.
1: Yes, and she was a Klingon. My mom called her the Klingon because she was always just on my mom's leg or had to be carried by my mom, and then I was running around like a wild child.
0: (laughs) Okay, but you did not struggle in school. It sounds like it sounds like that was easy for you. The actual learning part.
1: Eventually, I did start to struggle because I got disorganized. And I got bored and disorganized. And when Um, was this, like grade-wise? Starting in high school and then some in college. I I mean, like 20-page papers became too difficult. So the college program that I went to, we could contract classes. So I knew I wasn't great at long tests. So I would contract to do papers instead of long tests. I knew that my recall memory wasn't great. And so I could do papers, but then professors would want 20-page papers instead of 10-page papers. I knew I could do a 10-page paper. Five-page paper was a breeze. Mm -hmm. 10-page paper was great. 20-page paper was a little too much for me. And so we would do things called WIPs, work in progress. And I remember sitting the end of my last semester of college, and I had this WIP from three years prior, and I was working on a... 20 page paper about Angela Davis, women race class, <laughs> fabulous, <laughs> which was a fabulous paper. I loved it. I loved what I was learning, but I was like, I was like, how am I getting 20 pages? This just makes sense to me. I mean, the first 10 pages just poured out. And then this wonderful professor just went ahead and sent the eval that I passed the class and did a great job in the paper. And I just sent her what I had. Um, she was no longer teaching at the university. She saved my butt. I just, I really appreciated it. She's a lovely lady, woman, I should say. She's not a lady. And it was just trial and error. And it was just, it was a lot. It was it was hard because the Johnson Center was very much, um, gave a lot of responsibility to the student, even though we had tremendous relationships with our professors and our advisors, At the center, there were classrooms and some professors' offices in the dorms with the students. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we had great access. And one of my advisors kind of became a second father to me. And after my father passed, he was one of my fathers who walked me down the aisle at my wedding. Oh, Yeah. I mean, it's just, and I helped raise his kids after their mother died. And it was just, it was a wonderful relationship. It was so above and beyond what you get at a at college, it was just, but that was part of why I picked a small liberal arts college. Cause I needed more, I needed more of that contact and I needed a, a better experience than just going to class, filling in a bubble test and going away and studying. I needed something more concrete with my learning process and I got it. And then I've translated that into my tutoring business. So what happened between college and your tutoring business? Like, how
0: did you end up getting to the point where you were studying executive function and then working with kids who had those challenges? How did that all end up or happen? So
1: the tutoring business fell into my lap. This is kind of a funny story. So there is, I guess he's still tutoring, um, this existing tutor in my hometown who, when I was in high school, he was the favorite substitute teacher in the math department, because he actually knew math. He was the tutor in town. He knew math and could get through the math lessons in the math department. And so the teachers all fought over him. And I loved going to his classes when he was substituting, because he was also working in a psych ward at night, and he would reward the class for getting through the lessons by telling stories from the psych ward. Oh, jeez! <laughs> and he was a great guy. Math was my favorite class in high school. And so I would actually cut other classes and go sit in on his math classes. So I'd take two, three math classes a day just to hang out with Melnick. And I just love math. So I was there. So Melnick, of course, remembered me and I came back home and occasionally would hang out at the local bar and would run into Melnick. And I had this my first real job after college and Melnick would be like, "You are so great with kids, and you're so great with math. You really should be a math tutor. I don't have anybody to refer my overload to. Come be a math tutor." I'm like, "No, I've got my first real job with health benefits and retirement, and I'm busy with this. I'm being an adult now, you know, and you know, I'm like 23, 24." And he's like, "You should be a math tutor." So then my father died, and. I quit my job. I'm living with the man who's now my husband. And he's like, take three months off. Losing your father's a big deal. Take three months off, do whatever you want, and then figure out what direction you want to go in. So Melnick hears that I quit my job. He doesn't know why, but he calls me up and he goes, so I hear you quit your job. I said, yes, my father passed. And I'm basically being the Martha Stewart of the Oakland Hills. I'm gardening and cooking and just (laughs) kind of getting it together. And he goes, well, so you're going to be a math tutor. And I'm like, no, I'm taking three months off. And he goes, well, I already started giving out your name and number. So tough shit, you're going to be a math tutor. <laughs> and so I decided, well, it's only there's only two and a half months left of the, semu- the spring semester. So I might as well give it a try. I can't lose anything with this. So I tried it and I loved it. I love the kids. I love teaching the curriculum. I love the families that I met. And I'm still close with some of the families from that first semester. I'm still in contact with like three of the four, which I find amazing 23 years later. And I absolutely fell in love with it. So I went back in the fall, and within a year and a half, I had a full schedule five days a week, Monday through Thursday. And then I worked a 12-hour Sunday. So what I mean by a full schedule is I worked one thirty to 9.30 or 10.30 at night straight. Wow. I had 50-minute sessions. I had 10 minutes to get to my next student. So, Julia, had you always had a
0: real interest in math? Has that always been super easy for you?
1: Super easy because it's black and white. You get it right and you're done and you move on.
0: Yeah, but there's so many steps and there's so many places to mess up along the way.
1: But it's so, it's creative. There's multiple ways that you can get there.
0: Oh my gosh, you're the first person who I've heard describe math as creative. I just love this.
1: (laughs) But that's, I mean, yeah. I mean, I find it creative. I mean, but I only teach through pre-calculus. So what I say with math for teens is that I speak teen. Is that I don't get into the heady math of college level I'm not there. But for high school math, I'm there and I can speak teen and I can be super creative with it. I do mnemonics for kids who need to do mnemonics. I do kinesthetic math. So kids who have a hard time remembering the patterns, we do body movements to help them remember. And I've had to contact teachers by email or phone and explain that the kids are not cheating. It's just the way that they need to remember the math steps.
0: So you actually look at the child And together you figure out what works for them to understand math. Exactly. Hmm. How many tutors do that? I mean, I don't, teachers don't do that, right? They're basically given the book and they teach one way. And if you don't
1: get it, you're kind of left behind. Right. Exactly. And that's really for teachers who expect that exact method it's really not fair. So for kids who don't understand that exact method I teach them other methods and then we back into the teacher's method who for teachers who have to have their exact method which I find shameful. Have you ever had a
0: student that was really bad at math that you weren't able to help? No.
1: Well, because you said something to me about... I've had students that I haven't been able to help because they utterly refuse to work with me.
0: Okay. Okay. But you said something that led me to believe. So I have this belief that all ADHD brains are brilliant in something. And you said something comparable to that, but it was around math. And... What I heard was that you believe that everyone can learn math. There is no such thing as I can't do it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Everybody can learn math. So I had one student early on and she and I, at this point, she's in her mid thirties and she and I are good friends now. And I go and play with her little kids. And when I visit her and I adore her, she's a dear friend now. So when she was in high school, she was getting tested for learning differences because she could not learn math and, but they couldn't really find anything. And so the student and her mom were starting to believe that she was just dense. Mm. And I was tutoring her best friend and they were like, let Julia try and work with her. And we spent a couple of emotionally painful years and she needed to have this, emotional process going through learning math. She ne- It was like she needed to go through the Kubler-Ross stages of grief, <laughs> of le- letting go of her old beliefs that she couldn't do math. Wow. And coming to believe that she could do math. I mean, she cried. And this was the student that I developed the kinesthetic learning for. We had like all these uh, Saturday Night Live movements, like, you know, the staying alive with the hand on the hip and the other hand going down to the left, left hip and up right in the, in the sky. And it's, and that was the first student that I had to talk to the teachers about that she wasn't cheating. She just needed these, and we had all these hand movements for her to remember the processes for math. And eventually she grew out of that. And eventually she got to being an A student in math. It took a while, but she got there. And it was really an emotional process. I mean, she would sob during sessions, and her mother was in disbelief that this was really going to happen, and it happened. It, you know, I'm like, trust me, this is we're making progress. This is going to happen. And then she ended up having me tutor her other three kids, and every kid was different. And I, I love those families when they had three or four kids, and every single kid was a different personality. I love families like that. <laughs> so, Julia. Tell us what exactly
0: are executive functions?
1: So through this math and learning, and especially working with kids with learning differences and ADHD, I started to understand executive function. And executive function is a family of differences like recall, struggling with a multi-step process, initiating completing tasks, short-term memory, paying attention, time management, planning, organization, keeping priorities straight, staying focused on a task, and being able to monitor self and behavior, progress, and emotions. How much does that align with ADHD?
0: Yeah, it totally does. And I would suspect that not every student struggles in all those areas, right? No. No. Not
1: every student struggles in all those areas, but those are all things that, you know, like when we're in preschool, we get the tray of toys and play with the tray and put it back on the shelf, right? Mm-hmm. And they're teaching us executive function skills with that. So all of our education, they're teaching us executive function skills. When we get to high school, adolescence, the frontal lobe goes into chaos, <laughs> right? It just gets all scrambled up. And so all of a sudden, our kids who have been reasonably organized, teens go haywire, and they can't keep the rooms clean, right? I mean, it's a standard struggle with between parents and teenagers to keep their rooms clean. And that's a standard executive function issue with a teenager. Now, the issue is how large of an issue do they have with executive function? Can they keep their schoolwork organized? Can they keep their binder organized? Can they keep their backpack organized? Can they keep their desk organized? Are they capable of handing in their schoolwork? Can they get their homework from being completed into their binder to school and hand it in? So like my daughter struggles with executive function. She'll finish her work, but then she can't hand it in at school.
0: That's exactly my son. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's an executive function issue. So we've worked out accommodations with her at school. So now what teachers will do is I guess they have uh, tasks. They've got all these great web-based things now that they're in remote learning. And so a teacher will ping her with reminding her to hand in her homework because her homework will be done. But she didn't mm-hmm. turn it in at the beginning of class, so now it's officially late. But a te- because she has, she'll she have an accommodation, so a teacher will ping her and she'll hand it in and she's fine.
0: So she'll get through all the steps,
1: but somehow the last one, it's like, oh, forgot that one. Exactly. She's gotten very good at getting her homework done and pre-planning the multi-steps for a big project. She's gotten great at doing all of that. Uh, the school provided her with a wonderful organization coach her first couple of years that She's gotten all of that mastered, and then we have an accommodation for turning in her work.
0: There's actually um, someone called an organizational coach in high school.
1: It's a private executive function coach that's in the town that her high school is in that the school okay. contracts with.
0: That's amazing. I mean, for we have kids who, for
1: who have executive function issues.
0: Okay. Okay. So I know that you're a huge proponent of Sarah Ward's program. What is it that she teaches that is so different than what else is out there?
1: Sarah Ward talks about getting ready, starting, timing the process, being done, and then done done. She has this four to five, depending on the age of the student, this four to five step process of doing schoolwork. And then we'll explain.
0: Could you actually walk us through it with an example, like for each of those sections?
1: Yeah. So she'll work with a student and we have the workspace. So we make sure that the workspace is prepared. And so is that
0: number one? Did you say that was number one, prepare or?
1: Yes. So I'm going to do an example with a teenager um, because I work with teens. So we have the prepared workspace. And we are gathering our supplies to work with. So we have our backpack and any, uh, say, the calculator. And then I always give my students the special ruler to do their math work. So we gather all of our supplies. So we've got our backpack, which has our binder, our school book, paper, pencils. So we make sure we have all of our supplies ready. So we're getting prepared. So we lay them all out on our workspace. And then we ideally, we make a plan as to how long our homework or our work is going to take. So we do a quick analysis of the types of problems that we're going to be working with. And if the Intensity of each of those problems if they're going to take four minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and we make a timetable plan of how long this assignment is going to take. And depending on the if the student is struggling with time management, we may use a time timer clock. Do you know what that is? I do, but explain it. So a time timer clock is a clock where you can set it's like a timer that you move the red zone into the future and then the clock sweeps towards that bowl. Right. So when the red part is gone,
0: that means 15 minutes is up.
1: Right. It's very useful for students who don't have a good time concept. So a lot of times people with ADHD and executive function skills will completely lose track of time and work will take too long to do. That's very, very common. And so a time timer helps them to develop an internal gauge of time. So sometimes with students or what I will do is I will set the timer on my...
0: Sorry, it uh, went off.
1: <laughs> what? Didn't you hear it? It just oh, is that beat. your time timer? I was messing around <laughs> with it and I thought I turned it up, but I didn't. <laughs> so sometimes what I'll do with work is I just set the timer on my phone. Or especially if I know I'm in a hyper focus mode and I only want to give myself so much time to do a project and then move on to something else, I'll just set the timer in my phone. Or I have this like timer die that has... 15, 30, 45, 60 minutes. It has different times on different sides. And I just set it to that side and pop it down and it will it will set an alarm for that amount of time. That's um, my favorite one. The data yeah, I, will I put like that, that in one
0: a lot. So people know what we're talking about.
1: Oh, good. Thank you. Yeah, that's really useful, especially if I'm in hyper focus mode and I'm trying to get a lot done and not over focus on something. So Calculate how much time our work should take, set a clock, and then do our work. And Can then I ask we, you, on yes. the plan part where you're doing a quick analysis
0: and you're looking at how long will it take, why are you doing that?
1: To help the student realize that it's going to end. Oh. Oh. And so it's important that they know it's going to end, but then also to give them a goal so that it doesn't go on forever. So especially with math, students who don't like math, they need to learn to use their time efficiently.
0: Yeah. So I was just thinking, so is that because they start working and they just get lost? And so they're spending so much time in one area and then they're still not getting it right. So then they're missing out on all the other ones that maybe they could have gotten right.
1: Correct. So I will often stop the timer when we're teaching and then turn the timer back on when they're just doing work. Got it. Okay. Because there's a difference in the, that work time, teaching time versus work time. And then when we're done, we have to get done. So we clean up, but then we have to pack the backpack back up, put all of our supplies away, and then we're done, done.
0: And that done, done is because we tend to kind of blow through the last 5%. And so then we have all these little things hanging out there.
1: Right. We got to put our homework back into the right pocket to hand it in. And we have to maybe and check our calendar to see what else is going on. If there's any other loose ends we need to tie up, we need to have our backpack ready to go back to school. We need to clean up our desk, good habits maybe prepare for other homework that we're going to do, but we need to be done, done. So we don't leave strings hanging loose to upset mom or dad or.
0: Okay. So that's sort of what I understood about Sarah Ward's program, but I felt like I was missing something. Why is it so popular? Is there literally no one who has thought this process through as far as what these kind of students with executive function deficits need?
1: There's nobody who teaches it with the exactness hmm. that Sarah does. So if you notice, Sarah has a partner, Kristen. Mm-hmm. And what I've noticed is with these seminars, the audience doesn't like Kristen's teaching as much as Sarah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I hate to say this. <laughs> Sarah is the voice that they like to hear. Mm-hmm. So Sarah and Kristen both have full, robust schedules at their center in Massachusetts. They are both completely full and busy. They have a booming business. But as far as the speakership goes, and they developed the system together, their system encompasses every level of learning, preschool, elementary, middle school, and high school. And they do work with college students and adults, too. But when they go on the speaking circuit, I don't know anybody else. I can't find anybody else who goes on the speaking circuit about how to work with students or how to create a classroom, work with students that implements executive function. Okay. Then then this program with Sarah Ward and her partner. and. Yeah, cognitive connections. I can't find anybody else who does this as readily as she does. There's books about it, but there's nobody who really teaches about it. Mm -hmm. And
0: you think she just makes it much more accessible?
1: Yeah. And they go into schools, there's lots of books, but they go into schools and help teachers uh, with their classrooms, help. They do hands on work. They're the hot ticket doing this program. And I don't know anybody else. I mean, I've done not I've done a couple hours of research. I can't really find anybody else, at least on a speaking circuit who does this.
0: Makes sense, because I know I personally did all kinds of research, hoping to find someone like this for my son. And that is exactly where I ended up with Sarah Ward. Yeah. But then I presented it to the school and they sort of rolled their eyes and never did anything with it.
1: So that's really a shame.
0: Yeah, it was a real shame, actually. So, I would love to know from you just some ideas. If you have a child, a teenager, who is really struggling, it could be math, it could be any subject. What are some suggestions that you might have for parents to help?
1: (sighs) That's difficult. So to me, the easiest thing is to find another adult, to find a, a tutor or a coach, because it's really hard for the parent to work with, the, with their child. Um, even with my child, I don't really work with my child.
0: You know what? Once, once I asked that question, I realized where you were going with it, and I completely agree
1: with you. But I will give some, I will give some things for parents to do because it's really hard. I mean, it's just, it's knowing what I do with my students. It's just such a different relationship. There's kind of a level of safety that happens between the tutor or coach and the student that um, it's really hard to imagine between a parent and a child.
0: Well, and the other thing, Julia,
1: that I noticed is you know, if your child
0: feels like you're nagging them, which right. they exactly. often feel that way no matter what you say, right? What ends up happening is you bring all of that negativity into the house. And I've always thought that I'd rather have them go out somewhere, figure it out for themselves, by themselves, with someone who's qualified. And then our time in
1: the house, is so, there's so
0: much more positive emotion.
1: Right. I mean, it comes back to that shame concept. You Got don't it. want to create anything that's going to feel like shame. Okay, that makes total sense. There are some things you can do, and in, in your home, um, especially with COVID, right? In this, especially with learning. COVID, yeah. yeah. So, I try and provide a space for belongings. So there's a space where my daughter's backpack goes. There's a space where her keys go. There, she has a desk. She has workspace. I make sure that she has all the tools that she needs to be successful at her work. And I check in with her at nauseum about this um, every week because I feel that that's my job as her parent is to make sure that she has the tools to succeed. Yes, mom, of course, I've got what I need. and But every once in a while, she'll surprise me. Oh, I need such and such. So it's good that I check in because especially kids with ADHD and executive function forget that they have needs. So because examples of parents as adults with executive function and ADHD will forget to eat and will forget to like meal plan. So one thing is to offer them food, make sure that they have a snack when they get home or finish school, make sure they have their meals while they're in school. So keep that kind of a schedule with them during remote schooling is really huge. Make so sure they have saying- their sub- Go ahead.
0: So you're saying which makes so much sense to me, whatever you can do to provide as much structure.
1: Structure and stability.
0: Stability and structure. Okay.
1: It's huge. And then one thing that I do for my daughter is so we've been really fortunate, and because we're all ADHD and we're really bad at at keeping a (laughs) cluttered home. Uh So we've been very fortunate that our housekeeper has still been coming every week. So, and then I have a bad back. So I have a helper uh, that comes to help me out two to three days a week with laundry and things that I can't do. So the day that the housekeepers come, the helper and I go into my daughter's room and we help her clean her room because she hates having a messy room, but she for the life of her cannot clean her room. Yeah. But so, she can do it if, if someone's there with her, working with correct. her. Correct. So yeah. We, totally. we work with her to clean her room before the housekeepers come and change her sheets, vacuum and dust and clean her bathroom. And she's so grateful to have that help to have a clean room because she really wants to have a clean room, but she's got that teenage frontal lobe scramble and can't do it for the life of her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's times she will ask me, can you help me by help me straightening my room? Because I just, I've got too much work to do and this messy room is a distraction. So I, I ask her two to three times a week is if there's anything I can do to help her, whatever it may be. So she may ask for more fruit in the house or she may ask for help cleaning her room. One time she surprised me and asked me if we could go plant shopping. Um, Cause she wanted to have green things in her room. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that kind of stuff really, really helps. She will ask me for reminders to help get her out the door for certain appointments, which is hard for me. Cause I'm not that great at, I mean, I have to set alarms for myself to remember appointments. So I'll set alarms to help remember her to remember appointments. It's It takes a lot of work when you struggle with these issues yourself. But somehow I seem to be do- better at helping others. <laughs> yeah. Do
0: you ever sit down with her and, you know, she'll come in and she'll say, oh, I want to get this done and you literally just process it with her to try to figure out, okay, how does she think she can handle it best?
1: Yes, we all problem solve, but she actually has got a pretty good handle on doing that now after working with this um, this counselor. The school provided her with that. Oh, the other thing that we did. She's a senior now, and the school offers college counseling. Mm-hmm. But um, in my years of working with students. What I've seen in private college counselors, that is so much better than school college counseling. And so we gave her a private counselor and all of her friends who are doing school college counseling are fighting with their parents. Oh. And we haven't had one disagreement. Oh, well, we had one disagreement because I didn't do something on time um, <laughs> that was supposed to be done for the school because I don't pay attention to the school's emails. <laughs> so, the private counselor has been great. She just has this working relationship with the counselor and we'll go over to her house and sit at her kitchen table or at the patio table and do work. And she's gotten eight of her applications in already. And I couldn't be more pleased. That's
0: how my son was too. You know, he didn't even, he, you know, his last year, he was at a private school, private Catholic school, and all of his friends hired these private counselors And he was like, nope, I want to do it myself. He knew more about the schools than most of the counselors and certainly the other kids because this was just an area of interest. And he did his application, his, you know, what's the personal statement, all of that. He did it all by himself and got it all done in advance. I was in shock.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Yeah. But again, it's about interest, right? If it's something they're really interested in. Right. Right.
1: The sustained hyper-focus is impressive, though. Right. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Okay. So, Julia, I'd love to ask just a general ADHD question for you. I'd like to know, what is it about you and your ADHD that makes you good at this job,
1: at what you do? I actually think it's more my uh, Myers-Briggs personality type. Hmm. Um, I am an INFJ. Mm -hmm. so that makes me um i'm completely empathetic and i want to make things right and it's the same personality trait as like gandhi and oprah and it's the most rare myers-briggs personality Mm -hmm. so i want to come in and fix things and make things just and i'm intuitive i'm very very intuitive So with my ADHD gift and this personality trait, I can go in and be with. So part of why I like teens more than adults generally is that teens are really raw. They're very genuine. A lot of adults have agendas and teens are pretty upfront and straightforward. And I love that raw natural energy and that honesty. And so I can go in and be empathetic and intuitive and help them and figure out what's going on. And I just have a great sense of where they're going and their next step and what they need in learning and emotionally to support them and to feel safe. And so I think it's a combination of my ADHD and my personality type. Does that makes sense.
0: Now, yeah, it totally makes sense. Although I feel like um, ADHD is a series of personality traits, and I would argue that your empathy and your sense of justice and your intuition is all because of your ADHD.
1: Okay, I mean, <laughs> I think they're hand. I think they're hand in hand. I think they're absolutely yeah. joined. Totally. Um, but it's yeah. I mean, I just find that my personality is very much why my and the ADHD is very much why I have my marriage huh we're this perfect like it's so, it makes so much sense why my husband and I are paired together um and it doesn't I mean, it absolutely makes sense why I'm an EF coach <laughs> so, so, with my students because I've learned so much living with him um his yeah. executive function is horrible well, and there's, uh,
0: definitely something, there must be something about the fact that you're an EF coach that also keeps you honest, right? It helps
1: oh, you as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and my then you integrity, have credibility. yeah, I mean, I'll fall back and fall off of being on, on schedule or on task. I'll be like, what is going on? And then I've got this checklist. I'm like, okay, wait, I got to do that. What am I failing at today? And just, <laughs> And I have all these skills to fall back on, which I feel incredibly fortunate about. I mean, I feel very gifted. I I feel incredibly fortunate. I mean, I really have the best job on earth. It's really incredible. It's so satisfying and fun. It's just I love, love my students. It's really a blast.
0: Well, it definitely does sound like the perfect complement to your brain and how it works. And this whole idea that, you know, we need to be in positive emotion to feel motivated And you just keep talking about how fun the job is. And I actually think, oh my God, that seems like a great job, but I think I'd suck at it. Not, not, well, the math part. (laughs) I love teenagers too. I just, I adore them. So, what is your number one ADHD workaround? My bullet journal. Oh my gosh, you're one of those who was able to actually get that to work. Okay, explain. Tell me why you like
1: that. I do a weekly layout. Every Sunday, I spend about an hour, hour and a half, and I do a weekly layout with my calendar. And then I have three different kinds of to-do lists. I have my kind of like repetitive to-do lists. I have my daily to-do lists. And then I have my running to-do lists, like project to-do lists. And then those can jump from week to week. But having that to go back to when I get lost or scattered is huge mm-hmm. for me. And then I always run back and forth between my iPhone, which I have the reminders on, and I keep my calendar. My, my appointment calendar is on my iPhone in iCal, but I write my appointment. So I have this visual layout of my, of my appointments in my bullet journal but my hardcore calendar is on my iPhone and computer and that's the family calendar too. Um, so I know what's going on with everybody.
0: So do you, do you feel like the bullet journal kind of calms you down and reduces anxiety because it's always there. And so if you forget it, you can run back to go look like, you know, it's been downloaded from your brain right onto something. Yes.
1: Yeah, there's mm. something about the analog that's nice for me. I'm also very much a paper and pen person. Um, I love good paper. Like I have this, I use a certain Rhodia paper pad for my students. Yeah, with the dots on it because mm-hmm. it's just it works for any kind of math. I collect fountain pens. I just I have a paper and pen thing. This is so common. for <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I yeah, I'm exactly like you. I also it doesn't hurt that when I was sixteen, I started working in a stationary store. So oh, geez. <laughs> oh, geez, that's the end, right? Yeah, I, yeah. I learned all about different kinds of luxury papers and invitations, and yeah, that's my biggest workaround. I mean, for my husband, he who constantly loses his keys and his cell phone, he uses tiles.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So we use that's his too. biggest thing.
0: Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll put a link in for that as well. So. Julia, are you working on something right now that you want to tell us
1: about? Oh, yeah. So I've expanded a new concept into my business. And that is to teach parents how to do their children's math for remote learning. Oh. So, so many parents are super frustrated with not understanding their children's math (laughs) to help their kids because they didn't do their children's math when they were growing up. It's Mm -hmm. a very different common core is a very different math than what we had when we were growing up. So if you want help learning how to do your kids math, let's have a zoom meeting, get a glass of wine, your children's curriculum notebook, and we can meet and I can teach you your children's math. So I have a website, Julia Clements Tutoring, J U L I A C L E M E N T S tutoring.com and you can connect with me there and we can talk about helping helping you to help your kid do math. Or we can talk about executive functioning or we can talk about math tutoring. That's
0: amazing. Like I feel like I should take that class just to learn math. <laughs> with a glass of wine. It actually sounds fun. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love it. Okay. So I will. So there's enjoy- no shame. There's absolutely <laughs> no shame. We'll, get, I, I we'll would- do our best to make it fun. You may have some tears, but we will work through them and we will get to laughter. Yeah. You know, it would be something so great to
0: overcome. Now I have to tell you, I got the highest grade in trigonometry in our class. I got an A plus. I love in trig. Trig it is was awesome. My but I loved it because it was so black and white. You know, it was so, okay, this is exact, like everything had its own slot versus other math. I, not so much. But so it's I also the use. visual
1: compar- mixed yes. with math. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and, that, and I think that makes it fun for people with ADHD. That mixture makes it satisfying. That's so interesting because, you know, the other
0: maths, I mean, I would get a B or a B, usually a B plus but I felt like I never knew what I was doing. But trig, it just felt like it was so specific. And I, I knew the path. You know, I understood it.
1: But anyway, well, there's the wheel of life. And then there's the parent graphs. And if you can understand how those two relate to each other, you can do the graphs easily.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so
1: I teach that whole system inside out. I te- kids get to me and they're like, what? And I'm like, let me teach it to you backwards. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's one of my most satisfying things to teach. I love it. Okay, Julia,
0: thank you so much for spending time with us here today. That was so fun.
1: It was an absolute pleasure.
0: Yeah. So that's what I have for you this week, listeners. Thank you so much. This episode of ADHD for Smart Ass Women was brought to you by Your ADHD Brain, it's our six-step system that shows you how to fall in love with your ADHD brain. If you'd like more information, join our waitlist at TracyOtsuka.com forward slash waitlist. If you like this episode with Julia, let us know by leaving us a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And guess what? Your reviews really help in that regard. One more thing. If you have a comment, a guest you'd like me to interview, or a topic idea for this podcast, you can go to my website at tracyoutsuka.com and leave me an audio message or reach out to me at, tracy at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for smart ass Women podcast. where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.